Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Neil Hurley of Eagle Alpha. Eagle Alpha, an alternative data aggregator, is one of the more established names involved in alternative data, having first started in 2012, and Neil took over as CEO last year. In our conversation, Neil and I explore the whole alternative data market together, along with Eagle Alpha's place within it. So in this episode, I'm joined by Neil Hurley of Eagle Alpha. Thanks very much for joining today, Neil. Good morning, Mark. Thanks very much for having me. You're very welcome. So Neil, Eagle Alpha is a, a name, a, a, a company which will be very familiar to a lot of people in, in alternative data. It's often one of the first places that um, that someone comes to if they if they kind of hear of alternative data. Could you just start by just uh, very, very briefly, um, what, what would you say Eagle Alpha does? We would describe ourselves and we do describe ourselves as an alternative data aggregator. Okay. Jolly good. So why don't we, why don't you tell me, why don't we go back a little bit and why don't you tell me a little bit about how Eagle Alpha got to where it is today? Just a, just a kind of a brief potted history. Sure. The company was founded in 2012 by our executive chairman, Emmett Kildoff, and it was really started with the belief that more data sources were going to be used in investment processes. And in the early days, the company was very focused on social media and Twitter and getting insights into corporates. But it's evolved a lot since then. And as mentioned, it's now focused on aggregation. Fantastic. Okay. Um, And so when did you come on board? I've been with the business now for four years. And when I first came into the business, I was running the business development team and joined the board of the company. And one year ago, um, a little bit over one year ago now, I became CEO of the company. How did that come about? Emmett uh, had been CEO for, as of one year ago, for eight years and was looking for a change. That's a long time uh, to be CEO of a company. And Emmett was a very early mover in alternative data. I don't think you'll find that there's many businesses in alternative data today that have been around since 2012. So certainly from his perspective, he was looking for a change. And from my perspective, I really saw a lot of potential in the business. And I had helped develop a lot of the client base. And I really wanted to help bring Eagle Alpha to the next chapter. And so from that perspective, it made a lot of sense to have the transition. And it's it's worked very well. For sure. Fantastic. So that sets us up for it is now January 2022. What do you see as the service that Eagle Alpha is providing to the market today? The service we're providing for data buyers is really around discovery and prioritization of data as it relates to a research question or a business need. And then on the the vendor side of the market, we're, we're providing services that allow vendors to discover and prioritize buyers that suit their data and also we're giving them 
insights into their data and giving them a better understanding of uh, their data products and data quality as well. So they're the, they're the main things that we're doing for, for buyers and vendors. So here we are. The idea is we're here we are in a, in a noisy world of increasing numbers of buyers who want to get access to uh, alternative data and a and a busy, vibrant ecosystem of alternative data providers, which aren't necessarily um, so there's a lot of them. They aren't necessarily all easy to find or neatly catalogued or, or corralled into one position or one one kind of searchable place to find. And so what um, Eagle Alpha does um, is, uh, alongside the, the conferences business that you've mentioned, but what Eagle Alpha does is provide that um, basket, essentially, um, into which alternative data providers can place themselves in order to then be sifted through by buyers. So you are the place where a buyer can come and find what the perfect alternative data set for themselves. Absolutely. But at the same time, it is evolving because the number of data sets now is, is so significant. You know, at 1600 data sets, I, the functionality that you need to provide people as a data buyer or consumer needs to evolve. I mean, I see some parallels with uh, search engines. And, you know, in the mid 90s, you had, you know, web directories like Yahoo, you know, but by the late 90s, you know, you had um, web search scoring algorithms uh, being developed by, you know, Google and Baidu. You know, I see, I see a similar requirement in terms of how people find and discover data sets as a buyer, you know, being able to search and prioritize data based on their research question. And we always say, start with the research question, don't start with the data because the amount of data is overwhelming. Um, so that's, that's, that's what we, that's what we see on the buyer side. And likewise for the vendors, the variety of consumers is increasing. And, you know, if you go back five years, the main buyers would have been a group of multi-strategy and quantitative hedge funds. Now data vendors have to contend with a whole broader scope of data consumers, including private equity, including real estate, uh, more corporates, and even government entities. And so the nuances to how each of those wants to work with a specific data set um, is a lot more varied than what vendors had to contend with five years ago. Um, so Eagle Alpha has a really important role to play in terms of helping both buyers and vendors engage, firstly. But importantly, post-engagement, to think about uh, conversion, you know, because it's very easy to review lots of data sets and to evaluate them and for nothing to happen with that data. And that's a really big challenge for the overall marketplace and the extent to which we can make that more efficient and drive both time and speed of conversion, but also higher conversion rates that benefits buyers and vendors that are looking at all these different types of data sources. Okay. I feel like I've just heard three things. Um, so the first one is that uh, you are, so the amount of alternative data sets that are now available compared to the kind of, you know, a few years ago are 
multitudinous and so you need to be able to assist people your clients in uh you've got all these data sets before you could just show them a list of data sets potentially but now you need to be able to advise make it searchable create more clever filing techniques and and descriptive and and essentially hold hands much more in order to find the diamond in the rough amongst all these not the rough the diamond amongst all the other diamonds in amongst all these all these data sets so that's the first thing the second thing is the market is growing um and so where it was just hedge funds um now we've got you know private equity and corporates and all these other potential buyers and so your where before your funnel was was kind of maybe single shaped or 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 not you know one or two um entry points um in terms of clients now that's kind of multi many straws are coming in um to the to the to the pile uh, I'm really mixing my metaphors now um, to so you need to keep track of that. Um, and then the third thing is that you need to help with help with more of the process in that before it was just discovery, um, whereas now you are thinking about how you're going to make it more likely to be a successful transaction and, and make it a um, and make it more efficient and, and, and make sure that the, the data set will be useful and, and can be used. Um, if that's all correct, um, how are you going to do all that? Yeah. So the answer, yes, it is correct. So that discovery and prioritization um, part is key. Um, how do we do it? Well, we've got a very long history of matching data to research questions. Um, a lot of that historically would have been delivered in a sort of advisory or, or consultancy type model. Incrementally, uh, the login experience is improving um, so that people can search for data sets and the data sets can get prioritized based on suitability to the question. And so there's a lot of approaches one can use um, to prioritize data to a research question um, as it relates to uh, keywords, um, as it relates to use cases, as it relates to how that data set's been recommended before. Um, a lot of people will look at how data sets are mapped uh, to companies and uh, to tickers. And uh, there's a lot of complexities there in terms of entity mapping. So there's a lot of different approaches. And I believe when you look at the future of Eagle Alpha and the future of an aggregator, you're going to see a lot of advances in terms of how that is done in a smarter manner. So that, yeah. that, that discovery and prioritization part is key. However, it's not just about a single data set answering a question. And this is where it gets a lot more complex. The people that are winning, so to speak, in terms of alternative data have the ability to combine data sources to mm. either get to insight or to get to a decision or to get to a trade you know, or to develop a, a, a trading algorithm around multiple data sets. And that blending and combining of data is where a lot of the value add happens. So that's something that is important in terms of how we think about recommending um, different data sets in combination to answer research questions as well. So, so you've started suggesting two or three data sets together might be able to answer the question, whereas previously you might have just suggested a data set. Absolutely. I think there can be a stereotype 
of a hedge fund having access to um, a single data set to generate alpha on a short-term basis uh, around you know, earnings releases. And that's not representative of how alternative data is really being used more broadly now. What you're seeing is a lot of time being spent on what's the question we're trying to answer around this business, this industry, the economy. What are the different types of data sources that could give us insight? How do we bring those data sources together? Um, and how do we evaluate multiple data sets uh, to arrive um, at insight? So the, 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 the consumers, if you like, whether that's funds or PE or corporates, they're getting a lot smarter about combining data sources. Uh, um, and, but there are challenges in terms of combining data sources when you think about things like mapping, um, uh, different uh, types of data collection methodologies, different, different uh, quality across different data sets, uh, different approaches uh, to um, how that data has been mapped to brands or to corporate entities. These things can be quite complex to solve for. Some granularity. Yeah. Um, okay. And so, okay, so that's the first one. So increasing, so um, you're thinking about uh, making your searches kind of smarter in a way and and and, and being a bit more handholding and, and um, yeah, uh, taking advantage of the latest technologies with that. Um, the second uh, aspect that you mentioned is spreading out and embracing the increased number of users, which to me sounds just like legwork, really. It's, 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 it's taking the, doing the work to understand who's using it and going out and knocking on their doors and, and helping them um, discover it. So I feel like, although it's a lot of work, it's, it's kind of the, the simplest to, um, to, to, to solve in a way. Um, the third one is the idea of, um, of making it more likely that a data purchase will be successful and mm. actually it will it will you know that uh, you're gonna have a happy customer at the end of it how are you how are you tackling that i've i've remarked that in the last couple of years it's actually become easier to discover the wrong data set um because the amount of data sets available as discussed is has gone up a lot and also mm. the different forums and channels in which uh you can find that data has increased and you know, the, the reality is that when you first meet with a data vendor or a data set, it might initially look like it's suitable for what you're trying to achieve. And it might be many weeks or months later that you establish that's not the case. So the first part of solving that puzzle is the initial research question and engagement. And the the data set that might be and or the data sets that might be most suitable to answer your question may not be the data sets that are at a specific conference or a specific venue for you to meet so i think that's the first part that people uh, need to um think about all of their the, the, what the true opportunity set is now they don't have the ability uh, to go and look at 1600 data sets on a platform so one of the things that we've done is we've developed private collections 
so that when there's a single question or topic that somebody's worked on, we can bring those into um, a single um, collection on the platform for login for the buyer. So that 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 certainly helps. Um, the the next part, of course, is understanding the underlying data. And you know, there's a lot of cataloging um, and marketing material um, that may misrepresent what the underlying data actually is. So what we've been doing as a business is spending a lot more time with the underlying data. Uh, so, you know, we, a number, you know, a few years ago started doing data quality reports on different data sets where data was actually ingested into Eagle Alpha and we would um, do data science work on, on data. And we've been doing more work in-house on the mapping of the underlying data uh, so it's not just what's represent or represented by the vendor, but based on underlying analysis of the data sets. Um, and um, what that means is we can start giving a truer representation to a buyer of what the underlying data is. And that also helps with conversion. So before a buyer considers spending more time with the data set, um, we're giving them better insight before they even make that decision. You are, um, you sit in the middle of this market, this alternative data market and have done for a while. And so you see kind of all sides and a lot, a lot in a, in a way Eagle Alpha has for, for, for the last um, several years, had perhaps the position that, that banks have in some, in some financial ways in that, in that a lot of the transactions kind of come across, come through you. And so your intelligence and your, your information is, 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 second to none in many ways um so i'm gonna take advantage of that um and ask you what do you what do you see right now in in 2022 uh, in terms of all sides you can take this question however you like but but looking forward for the year what do you see as the kind of the big um important uh themes and um and things to watch out for and and, and factors what would you start with for 2022 mm. Well, there's a lot of different ways of thinking about that. You can think about it uh, in terms of um, categories. You can think about it in terms of regions. You can think about it in terms of um, trends in terms of uh, the industry. Um, I mean, what I what I would say in terms of categories mm -hmm. of data, um, absolutely ESG is something that's become a lot more important. Um, we've seen a lot of funds that wouldn't traditionally have worked with alternative data now pay a lot more attention because of ESG and the rising tide of regulation um, and the requirements for funds to work with new data sources uh, to keep their underlying clients and regulator and consultants um, um happy is and so the but that brings is this is this in a way so i know i'm aware for a long time in alternative data there's been the talk that a tipping point will come for alternative data where the mass market in general will look at each other and see that everyone else is using it and will start thinking i need to get this data in order to be competitive because it's because it's and it's been a tipping point which 
I, it's I'm debatable whether it's arrived type thing or, or whether it's whether it's still to come. But it sounds like what you're saying is that potentially regulation has come up on the outside and regulation is actually the thing which might be forcing uh, all the market to think, actually, I need I need I need data in order to comply with regulation, not because of competition. Um, and an ESG is kind of the gateway into that. Um, is that is that true? And if so, do you see ESG as um, a gateway into alternative data in general, or is it just a, or, or will it be, could, could it be possible that people just get into ESG and, and stop there? Yeah, it's, it's, a good, it's a good question, Mark. Definitely, the, if, if, you, if you look within the asset management world, so pub, public equities and credit, um, absolutely. I remember one CIO saying to me, we're not ready to work with alternative data, but the ESG requirements of the regulator and our clients is forcing us into this. And I definitely see that playing out. Saying that for some of these firms that haven't worked with alternative data before, it's going to take them, you know, a couple of years to get their infrastructure in place and their resourcing and um, skill sets. Uh, aligned so that they are ready to work with these new data sources um so what that's kind of, just quick, just quickly what kind of companies are we talking about here we're not talking about hedge funds anymore are we we're talking about no, the, this would the be wider more, asset management market yeah. this would be more traditional institutions um so this would be away from you know funds um whether that's discretionary or quants that have always focused on alternative data from a performance perspective this is now traditional institutions um, where they have a significant amount of their assets being managed under an ESG uh, mandate. And so for those firms, they've traditionally used uh, scoring systems um, you know, that are provided by the likes of you know, MSCI and Morningstar. Um, but there's, there's gaps you know, between the regulatory framework and what can be provided within the scoring um, those scoring frameworks and alternative data has an important role to play. So that could relate to environmental, that could relate to supply chain, that could relate to um, employee insights. All of these are requirements under um, uh, the, you know, the regulatory regime in, uh, in Europe, which is called SFDR. Um, mm. So yeah, they're now looking at more data sources and uh, they're coming to us uh, for guidance on what sources to focus on. Um, so yeah, within the, within the category ESG has been, uh, you know, has been um, important, um, but you know the the categories everybody knows around alternative data. There's, there's ongoing growth in providers, whether that's consumer transaction. You know, we're seeing some really interesting European transaction data sets now. Um, there's ongoing growth in geolocation, um, and you know also um, employment, um, and uh, also uh, you know. Um, B2B insights, all these areas are still um, evolving with new data providers coming uh, to market. Quite vibrant. Um, I interrupted you and disrupted your flow when you were, when um, you're answering the question of, um, do you see ESG as being um, potentially that's all, that's where they'll stop? Or do you think that it could be kind of a gateway drug, which then um, mm. 
once you've got the capability to, that you need to to be able to pass ESG data, then they'll have the they'll have the capability, and then they'll be able to spread into into wider alternative data, and just become you know once you can eat meat, then then you yeah. can eat all kinds of meat type thing. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good point, and and also just to say with ESG, it's not just a public markets context. It's it's you know it's important within private equity now. Um, there's a, a an important initiative called the Data Convergence Project around ESG. So this isn't going to just be a catalyst for adoption within um, institutions. It's 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 also going to feature more in capital allocation decisions in private equity. Um, what I would say uh, is. You know, if you're looking at an overall ESG framework um, as an asset manager, it's going to bring you into areas like you know, employment data, uh, supply chain, environmental, you know, maybe satellite. And if you learn how to use those data sources and you learn how to uh, ingest, evaluate, procure, um visualize the data for internal users you should really be evolving the application of that data to other research groups or different teams within your organization because you've done the hard yards at that point uh, you you know with that with that with that data and you should apply it to questions that might be non-esg related um, and I, I, so to answer your point i do think for a lot of firms it might be the initial catalyst but once you start working with these data sources, they are really interesting. They add a lot of value and it makes a lot of sense to apply them throughout um, the, you know, the fund um, or the, you know, the private equity group. Yeah, I, I, I so you you see it as being useful to a long only institutional investment manager who is um following kind of traditional methods and and has up to now seen alternative data as this kind of newfangled something sexy for the hedge funds but kind of above his pay grade type thing his or her pay grade um i've had a i've had a fund manager say to me look it just doesn't fit into my um it just doesn't fit into my into my working process really i don't know where a it's expensive and b like we're not trying to we're not trying to ch chase the short term gains um and it's not we we haven't really been able to find the way to integrate it into what we're trying to do mm. um and so i and so the question is you know would it would it just be a regulatory thing or or can you see it spreading into being a competitive drive as well because actually that there will be you know efficiency gains or whatever from from use from a from a a, a slower moving long only I don't know, pension fund or, or something um, for using alternative data in their, in their investment decisions. It's absolutely the latter. Um, I'm cynical uh, in terms of what's happened within ESG over the last 20 years. Um, I think ESG has been very much a marketing driven agenda where funds have said, their ESG and they've used ESG as an AUM gathering tool um, and they haven't explored the data sources that are required to truly establish whether a corporate is progressing in terms of environmental, social or governance aspects. 
And this is separate to our performance or um, portfolio attribution. This is being able to say to your investors that have asked you to allocate capital to businesses that are more favorable within an ESG framework, being able to answer the question that you have done your due diligence on these companies um, that you're able to make that decision. And a lot of the data within ESG that people are working with currently can come from companies on a self-disclosed basis um, and it can be biased and it's not actually giving true insight into what's happening within the company. Um, so I think it's essential that people consider these new data sources. And I see a significant gap between firms and institutions saying that they are ESG houses, if you like, versus their actual usage of underlying data sources. And I think it's really important that the industry starts to address that because I don't believe this trend in regulation uh, is going away. It's going to start in Europe. It's going to become more pronounced um, in North America. And this is increasingly how money is going to be allocated, whether that's in public markets or whether it's in private markets. So you need a data framework to help with those capital allocation decisions as an asset manager. Okay, so let us, you hinted at it, let's talk geography a little bit. Um, alternative data has come very much out of the United States and the US is, is still very much the kind of powerhouse uh, where most of, in truth, kind of most of alternative data is still happening. I might be, I might be going to put you on the spot a little here, but um, unfairly, but um, let's say if we said the US was um, 10 um, because it's it's the kind of the maximum of, of 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 the alternative data market in terms of let's just say in terms of numbers of alternative data sets available and just kind of you know scope size of alternative data market then let's call the US ten. Um, what would you call? Uh, what number would you give Europe? And what number would you give China? Um, and and um, and then which one would you see between Europe and China as being the fastest growing in twenty twenty two? Yeah. Good question. Um, we can be quite precise. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I can give you a yeah. rough idea. So yeah. I know of 1,600 data sets on our platform that approximately half of them would describe themselves as global in nature. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of biases within data sets in terms of what their coverage might be like in it, within a global data set. And they will have certain regions where they've got more history or better granularity versus others. Um, but you've you've also got then some data sets um, that are pan-European in nature, but a lot of data sets in Europe can have a country focus as well. So they might have particularly strong coverage in the UK or in Germany or France. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say if you look at it in terms of data sets in our platform, it's going to be, um, you know, if the US is at 10, I would say you're going to see uh, Europe and China um, both at, you know, something like four or five is probably how I how I describe it. And then and you put them put them at the same level. Yeah, I would. I, I, yeah, that would be that would be accurate. And then you're going to see um, less um, coverage when you get to um, say Middle East 
um, or emerging markets, or sorry, LATAM, you know, Eastern Europe, Russia, uh, you're going to see less availability of data. Um, so that that that's a challenge for you know global managers and for emerging managers because um, a lot of the data sets, either through the underlying data or how they're marketed or presented, um, everything can seem to have a skew towards um, uh, U.S. Um, uh, corporates. Yeah, um, I see challenges in in Europe and China, which are not there in the U.S. Namely, in Europe, then you've got the linguistic and the regulatory so far though that might might shift to the us um and the just that but europe has got so many different markets within it that you're finding that the being able to achieve the scale of one data set um in europe is 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 more challenging compared to the us um and then in china obviously you got this kind of government um interference and and uh, increasing government antipathy towards towards you know, data sharing potentially, or, or not antipathy, but maybe kind of skepticism. Um, so I see major hurdles in both Europe and China. Would you have a view on on which you think are smaller hurdles, and where you would mm. see where where you would expect to see if you if you could put a horse in each race, which one would you expect yeah. to be further yeah. ahead in in two years' time? Yeah, I one of the um, one of the questions I always get asked the most when I'm visiting with our clients in the in 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 the US and um in North America is trying to understand the true opportunity set outside the US. And so there's a lot we can do as a business. Um we've we've gathered extensive um due diligence information on underlying vendors. And so we can tell um clients which of the data companies that are incorporated outside of the US, we can give them insights into you know, the number of clients they have and the underlying data um, and you know, number of years that it's been in business, uh, collection methodologies for the data. So all of that is, is a considerable help for people trying to prioritize um, data in these different regions. To your point on Europe versus China, I would say there's there are big hurdles for both. Um, the ability to get um, to um, pan-European data, as you say, across different languages, um, across um, uh, different um, uh, say, yeah different markets. Like say, for example, if you're doing a, if it's a payments uh, or transaction data set gathering. Um, you know, from different payment systems across Europe, all of these things present challenges. Um, we have seen people solve for different languages when they're doing NLP and sentiment analysis. So I think that can be addressed. But definitely China's position in terms of protecting its data. And I don't know if you've followed the recent developments in relation to the, the Shanghai Data Exchange. They're clearly thinking about a nationalization, if you like, of data, so that data assets within China should be for the benefit of China, and they should not be for the benefit of um, foreign speculators. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I think that's a really interesting uh, dynamic, and we're going to be discussing that um, at the next um, Eagle Alpha event, uh, the rise of the of the data exchange 
in, in Shanghai. Last year saw the first SEC judgment against an alternative data provider. Um, it wasn't necessarily the smoking gun SEC uh, judgment of, you know, uh, really coming down on this is exactly how we want alternative data to be managed. It was a kind of it was it was perhaps a more um, a straightforward bad behavior kind of judgment. But um, but either way, uh, do you see what do you see in 2022 in terms of in terms of do you see more? Do you see the, um, you know, the major SEC judgment, which which can really shape the way alternative data is used and shape the relationship with with uh, the US regulator? Do you see that coming down the line? Yes. I mean, I think overall, the App Annie episode um, in 2021 has been a positive for the industry. The what what it's done is it's helped um, the data buyers think about their compliance processes. Um, most of them were, are very robust. Um, I don't think people outside of alternative data probably appreciate the amounts of compliance checks um, that happen around a single data set between vendor initial vendor engagement right through to procurement and, and ingestion of the data. Uh, it's it's very very extensive, and when I came to industry, I was probably surprised at how few compliance issues that you come across. It could have been it could it could have been said that the because the regulator was was hadn't caught up yet. That's that could be fair, and um, you know the SEC um, has done a lot of um, analysis um, and given a lot of time uh, to understanding the alternative data industry in the last couple of years and um, they've been at eagle alpha conferences for example they've spoken at eagle alpha conferences they've spoken mm -hmm. on client webinars um, so they really want to ensure that the framework around working with alternative data is clearer um, for funds and that people are following the right processes and there'll be further guidance from the sec this year as it relates to that but the one thing for us that's been a positive is our ability to gather compliance information now from data vendors has improved. And um, mm -hmm. so we now have full due diligence on data vendors on the platform. And, uh, you know, for almost half the data sets now, uh, you know, we um, have um, due diligence documentation. And that's been one of the key asks from our clients uh, to ensure that compliance um, insight can be fed into their organizations either via, you know, a login experience for their compliance team or via an API where they can pull all that data into uh, their um, internal directories. Um, so that's um, that's been an important development. And to me, that's all part of, you know, a industry maturing and in a, in a positive way um, that um, these types of episodes normally uh, mean that you come back stronger. And what we've seen is more standardization of documentation. We've worked very closely with the FISD, which is an industry standardization group. And um, so it means that data sets now can get through compliance processes a lot quicker uh, with Eagle Alpha support um, than they could um, say a year ago.
And that is one of the really time consuming aspects of working with data sets is, is the compliance and documentation. So one thing that you, you see a lot is um, uh, projections of the future. There's, there's, there's a figure which gets bandied around an awful lot around um, 40% compound annual growth for the next seven years. And it, and it multiplies the alternative data space by 10 times um, br- broadly in that, in that kind of, in that kind of way. But what, the the research note which which that comes from and i've actually had the author on the on the podcast before what what the research note that it comes from um doesn't do is actually lay out how that growth happens and 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 what the future looks like i mean are you a an optimist in the in the same way and does that do those figures sound okay to you and how does alternative data grow from here where's the where's the where's the growth pattern it's a, it's a really good question, Mark. The way the way you can get there is, firstly, is you look at an individual entity and what their spending uh, growth uh, is per year. So we did a survey uh, in summer of twenty one, and went to a group of uh, funds by different type, and we got uh, in that survey an average of twenty five percent growth per firm. Uh, so when you take that 25% growth per firm and then you multiply it by the number of new firms uh, that are adopting and starting to spend more in alternative data, it's very uh, reasonable to assume that you can arrive at a 40% growth um, per year within the asset management vertical. Um, so that's going to be, you know, the types of strategies we discussed um, around quantitative, multi-asset, multi-strat, discretionary and fundamental uh, type uh, firms across equities. Um, but you you have to consider that there's strategies like credit, there's strategies like macro that still have the capacity to spend a lot more on data because it's been an equity bias story. Mm-hmm. And then that's even before you get into uh, private markets and private equity, where you're seeing early adopters spend more on data for deal origination and due diligence, uh, but we're still very early stages. You know, I would say from what we see, there's probably around twenty private equity firms globally that are serious about acquisition of external data or, or alternative data. And that number is only going to increase. Um, and then in the corporate side, there's been a number of surveys um, done, you know, that would also uh, point to individual corporates uh, wanting um, to s- increase their spend on external data, which is you know, the corporate phraseology for often for alternative data. Um, and once again, those surveys are pointing to very high growth rates like you described. So the numbers are all possible. Um, and they're all validated by surveys or actual activity that we've seen or other people have seen in uh, 2021. What are your what are your what impression do you get about um, what the world thinks about alternative data at the moment? I, uh, we we were talking earlier about before this before the, before recording about um, about Yipit data and the fact that they've obviously just raised it from Carlisle Group, um, which is a nice. Um, compliment really to the to the whole space what do you think what do you think carlisle's seeing what do you think um is the what's the 
what's the story that's being that that people can see right now? It's a very high caliber private equity firm um, that you know has would have done extensive research and due diligence to um, to make that sort of capital commitment uh, to a business. So I think from that perspective, it can only be seen as a positive. But to me, it is sending an important message about the potential of the market. Uh, because if you look at alternative data over the last number of years, you've got a group of very advanced and sophisticated users um, within both the institutional and the hedge fund area that have really industrialized their processes um, around um, data um, sourcing, uh, around data ingestion, around compliance, around data valuation, um, and how that data is then um, distributed through the organization and applied to different strategies. And so the the bulk of the spend each year um, within asset management can be would be very concentrated within that advanced group. But then you've got new um, uh, new buyers coming through in terms of adoption. And so we've got, as a business, we've got very good insights into mm. who those buyers are uh, because we often see them go through that adoption process uh, through um, initial engagement, education, learning, you know, hiring, um, and then starting to work with more um, data sources. But to me, that's a very resource intensive and slow journey for many entities to make the decision to start working with external data or, or alternative data. And I think what's really exciting at the moment is that across various solution providers, that the decision uh, to work with alternative data is becoming easier. Um, you know, you can engage, you know, a firm like Eagle Alpha to help you with all your data sourcing and prioritization, your best practice, um, and you can quickly start bringing trial data into your organization. Um, now, in addition, there's going to be other service providers out there that can support you with data evaluation and also data visualization um, and other solutions that mean that the end user within the fund or within the private equity firm or within the, the corporate, that they can get to insight a lot quicker and that versus five years ago, the decision to start working with more alternative data doesn't have the same hurdles. So I think that's really interesting. And we uh, put out a year in review uh, just before Christmas. And one of the points I was making was that I see the scope for a lot more partnerships and collaborations uh, between entities uh, to the benefit of the end consumer, and particularly those that don't have the same resources uh, as the early adopters. So, uh, so what are the big themes? It, it was on a lot of lists for 2021, um, which was the, the trend of consolidation. A lot of, a lot of people saw consolidation coming for the year. I think it's, it's happened. Like 
it has been happening to an extent. There have been major acquisitions underway and um, and and we've seen, you know, um, Bloomberg and Second Measure and 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 various others. Um, do you see do you see that as being a major trend for 2022? Has it has it happened? Do you think it's 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 coming in a bigger way? I do believe that acquisitions will continue. Um, there is that first type that you've described where traditional data companies um, are acquiring what you could describe as alternative data. Uh, so you've had, uh, obviously, Bloomberg uh, make um, uh, make uh, an acquisition. Uh, also, London Stock Exchange, um, also six, um, has made um, an investment. So I think those type of transactions will continue. Uh, because there's obvious gaps in the data offerings of the traditional data companies that they will want to solve for. Um, the other type of transaction I think that you will see will be within certain data categories. It might make sense for certain data companies to come together. Uh, and there could be perhaps cost synergies uh, or operational synergies where it would make sense for similar types of data businesses to come together but those they can be difficult to execute upon um so and then and then i then you know you could see that there are certain types of data companies where they do different things but it makes dif- made sense for them perhaps to combine you know so you know you could have a company that's very good um uh, perhaps at a certain engineering um, or they have a certain uh, intellectual property, but they perhaps don't have a significant amount of distribution or significant enough client base. And there might be another um, transaction where that would make sense. So I, I think the sort of example maybe of that would have been, you know, something like adaptive and uh, Noma, um, mm. you know, that, that, that type of transaction where there seemed to be, a solid rationale uh, for it. so there there's sort of the the three different types of transactions i think that i think that you could see uh within um uh, within this uh alternative data uh, niche so what about the topic of alpha decay in terms of some people fear and particularly with with alternative data some people fear that um, as more people get into alternative data, so the potential for alpha is going to be kind of removed, crowded out. It's a com- competition is going to outcompete it type thing. Um, do you, are you seeing that? What do you, do you think that's a risk? What do you, what do you think of that? It's it's a really really interesting um, in question mark. Um, it's it's something that came up a number of years ago, and actually recently it, it's it's probably subsided as a discussion point. Um, I mean, one way you could look at it is academically and from a market efficiency perspective, and you could analyze whether there is a response in the market when data is released from a specific data set. And if that was the case, it would show that um, there that data was being very widely used that when there's an update from um, on that data set and a, and uh, maybe a significant movement in the, in the data that you see securities or shares uh, respond. And 
Um, I've had conversations on that point over the years and um, people have said to me there are certain data sets that are very established um, um, particularly um, in you know from large um, data providers in the US uh, where they have noticed that happening now but they did say it was a handful and it's not an extensive number of names that noticed that and this would be you know firms that would be doing a lot of analysis across a wide variety of data sets every year. But even when that happens, the question then becomes, well, what, what do you do? Um, you know, for example, we've seen that alpha generation from earnings releases or earnings revisions and sell-side earnings revisions, uh, that the information ratios or alpha um, or excess returns from that have diminished over the years. But that doesn't mean that people stop accessing um, earnings revisions from IBES, you know, or from the sell side. Uh, so I think the same applies for alternative data, even where something does become more consensus, or even sometimes people call it the new consensus, uh, you're going to continue subscribing to the data. The other point I'd say on it is on this topic is you can see it probably in renewal rates as well, and you can see it in conversion rates from trial. Um, if data was less valuable, uh, then conversion rates uh, after extensive trialing and evaluation would be dropping. And we're actually seeing the opposite. We're actually seeing over time that conversion rates are, are going up in terms of data that's getting purchased after trials. And then on an ongoing basis in terms of that data getting renewed, typically you're probably seeing around, depending on the strategy, you're seeing anything, you know, from around two thirds to three quarters um, of the data that gets subscribed to by any entity is getting getting renewed um, each year. And that's where people tell us the numbers. Um, so I think that tells you a lot about the ongoing value in alternative data. Neil, that was a um, comprehensive um, tour de force of, of alternative data from, as I say, this privileged position in the in the centre of the market. So, um, so thank you so much for for coming today and and um, giving an update on what what's happening with, Google, with Eagle Alpha, and then giving your insight on on alternative data as a whole. I've I've I found it fascinating. So um, so thanks very much for joining, and um, and best of luck in the in twenty twenty two. Thank you very much, Mark, and really appreciate your time today. 